Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after show. Welcome to... Boston Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I'm joined, as always, by El Nino, the kid, the god, the legend, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, J. King, ladies and gentlemen, and we are coming to you live after Game 2, where the Celtics dominate the Philadelphia 76ers 121-87. to Joel Embiid returned, but it did not matter because the Celtics tried on defense. And it made a world of difference. <laughs> Crazy what a little trying will do. But they did it. They tried real hard. And it, it started literally the first possession. It was a tip from the tip. Embiid tapped it to James Harden. And Jalen Brown picked him up beyond half court right after the tip-off. That rarely ever happens. Like, you don't see a guy just instantly attach himself to a ball handler's body. But Jalen Brown did that. Tobias Harris ended up making a really tough shot on that possession. Um, A little baseline pull-up where Jalen Brown actually made a really nice rotation to force him into a pull-up. But then Jalen came back, hit a three. And then instead of going back on defense, he went up on defense. He picked Harden up again, like 70 feet from the basket, and it was just, from there, a totally different game than game one. The intensity, the pickup points, the lack of comfort that basically everybody on Philadelphia showed, it was, that was the best the Celtics have defended all playoffs by far, not even close, and what they need to do moving forward because their offense is much better now than it was before. And if they can play with that level of defense, like, they're really good. The major question is, will they keep this same level of intensity going to Game 3? Um, because, like, clearly they're, they're capable of this. After the game, Joe Mazzulla is like, we were angry and pissed off for the last 48 hours. He loved that because he's Joe Mazzulla. But... Like, they came out of different intensity. I thought Jalen Brown was very good on James Harden. I thought Marcus Smart was very good on James Harden. Marcus Smart was very good on Joel Embiid sometimes. He was very good on Joel Embiid. I thought Grant Williams came in and gave him fantastic minutes on Joel Embiid, just in terms of being extremely physical, not letting Joel get um, easy catches at the elbow where he's really hurt the Celtics. Uh, Clearly, Embiid was not, like, moving excellently like he's coming back a little bit early from an injury but I, I, he actually looked better than I thought he was going to and there was a couple of moments there in the second quarter where I thought he got him going offensively 
Um, cause he, but he was still a presence at the rim. He still had five blocks, uh, there early in the game. Like he, he would, wasn't, he looked a lot better than I thought he was going to coming back from an, uh, the injury this early. Yeah. You could tell the Celtics wanted to try him a little bit, like kind of see where he was at. Maybe a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah. And Jason Tatum went right at him very early and had an and one and then drew a foul on another play. I think someone else might have picked up that foul, but he was going at Embiid. P.J. Tucker picked up the foul, but it was absolutely on Embiid. But yeah. He called it on P.J. Tucker. He, he was going right at Embiid both times, like being physical, Euro-stepping. Uh, and then... Jalen Brown, homicidal Jalen. Like, he tried to snatch the life out of Joel Embiid. Did not work. Tremendous no, block. that was an awesome... Then he did it again. And eventually, it he felt had like some very good blocks. He like, caught up to was it Marcus Smart? He caught up to Malcolm Brogdon. Tried him a couple times, like maybe pass it out, bro. I think I, I think the Celtics learned like okay, he's moving well enough to block everything at the rim. They figured it out that we can still drive though and make a rim read, as uh, <laughs> someone in the business might know, and then kick it out to three pointers. So many more three pointers here tonight. Um, they kind of got ridiculous there in the in the third quarter, where the game just kind of. When you win a quarter, thirty-five to sixteen, clearly you're going to win that basketball game. Although with these Boston Celtics, who knows? Well, luckily they did not give up uh, that twenty-point lead, but their offense is clearly good enough to generate points at, at any time. They really controlled the turnovers tonight. Um, and just didn't let Philadelphia get those easy baskets. With that being said, was it at least three times or two times where uh, Philadelphia got layups off of uh, Tyrese, Celtics makes? Maxi and B-Ball Paul uh, got one. Yeah. It was just like, and then there was another play when, I don't know what happened, but Grant Williams was guarding Joel Embiid at the time, but for some reason he ended up on a guard out of the perimeter, and nobody was guarding Embiid on the block. And Robert Williams noticed, like, last second, he's like, oh, <laughs> As Embiid was the, turning MVP, around. Yeah. the MVP has the ball on the block. I might want to go over there, but he was late and fouled. So they did have mistakes, but I thought overall it was just, like, totally different intensity, totally different level of defensive rotations. There was one play, I think it was late in the first half, where... They threw the the double at Harden that everybody wanted last game. And they they were able – it was a really hard double. Like last game, their doubles didn't even impact him. This time it was a really hard double. Niang got the ball at the end of the shot clock and then Smart blocked him. And it was Oh, just, that was a wild decision by Niang. Well, they doubled him hard while he was in the corner. It was like swing pass, swing pass. Niang, I thought he had Tobias Harris in the corner – but Niang, there was all, there was hardly any time left on the clock. He probably could enough still time for him, him to make two dumb dribbles and to get blocked by Marcus Smart. And that was a huge play because it was a block into transition, finding Derek White in the corner. Derek White didn't have the greatest statistical performance tonight, but he thought he made some big plays. Had a tip out to Al Horford, who was awful tonight from three point land, one of eight. But the one that he did make, he was pumped and jacked about making it. And that was a kind of a huge momentum play for them. Yeah, and he got really good looks all game. Like, bad misses. They're bad, like, should have made the open looks he got. And I think... But they were ugly misses. I'm not just saying, like, they were bad misses because they were open. They were, like, very, very errant. But I think it's a good sign for the Celtics moving forward because I, I, I think a lot of them he got just because he was in the corner or while Embiid was guarding him. And Embiid's just going to stay in the paint. Um... 
and so like you, you kind of enjoy the the or like the process, the Celtics engaged in there. You want to know the funniest stat of this game? Jason Tatum was a plus whatever. How the fuck did you know? Yes, plus twenty four. Because <laughs> that was the objectively the funniest stat in this game. <laughs> plus twenty four in nineteen minutes, while going one for seven with seven points, and four fouls, and like clearly was never in a rhythm. Never really, he was in foul trouble basically the whole game. Picked up his second foul early. Picked up his third foul early. Picked up his fourth foul early. Like every phase of the game, he was just in foul trouble. And there's a little bit of a stretch there when he picked up his, he, they picked up his fourth foul and he stayed in the game for a little bit. And then he came out and in the third quarter and I was like, the offense didn't look great. They kind of some stagnant possessions. Um, Derek White actually ended up hitting a three after like, just a dog shit possession. And then for like the last six minutes of the third quarter, it was just uh, Malcolm Brogdon three, driving kick, Grant three, Malcolm Brogdon three, driving kick and just like the Celtics just like turned on something where they just could not be stopped uh it was like their offense just really figured things out and so I was a little bit concerned there I was like oh <clears throat> I saw how good the numbers were when Tatum was on the court um but they really like figured everything out there and just like again to win the third quarter 35 to 16 to turn on the uh the defense of that like and it's just wild the kind of the variation in James Harden's performance. I don't know if it was because Embiid was out there. I don't know if they were just like took the foot off the gas because they already got the one victory they have. But like from Harden to go from like absolutely dominant in game one to, and scoring 45 points to just feel like they didn't, like he just didn't have an impact on this game offensively. Yeah, and the Celtics, they've actually put him on the line a lot early. Malcolm Brogdon had a couple fouls, but even that, I, I felt like was the right move, if that makes sense. Obviously, you don't want to foul a guy and send him to the line and give him easy points. But it was like they wanted every touch to be uncomfortable. And that felt like the most important part for them today. So even if they were fouling sometimes, even if sometimes they had mistakes of aggression, it was out of aggression. And Brogdon was like swiping at the ball and like really trying to make an impact on the ball, whereas they didn't really have much of that during game one, they weren't able to to really force him to do anything he didn't want to do. And tonight, he didn't get anything. Like, there was not a time that James Harden just, like, dribbled out near the top of the key and just fucking, like, picked out who he wanted to go at and went and got an easy shot. Like, no, there was none of that. It was interesting, and clearly from the line of questioning Corrales was engaged in after the game, this is the theory he's moving forward with. But, like, by playing Joel Embiid, I think it allowed the Celtics just to play a little bit bigger because Grant Williams was in the game. They used some two big lineups. Like, do you think that messes up this the Sixers' offensive flow? Or do you like James Harden's more effective when he can play with a more spaced-out team? Like, B-Ball Paul was obviously in the uh, in the game, and he's not like the, the natural spacer or like rim runner that like James Harden's had in the past. But I do feel like at the start of the third quarter, the Sixers really tried to get Joel Embiid going and had a lot more kind of isolations and post-ups for him. And it didn't really work out. Like he knocked down some shots. But I did think it took the Celtics, I mean, the Sixers kind of out of their offensive rhythm, allowed the Celtics to get some stops, and, like, that's where the kind of the lead started to expand there in that third quarter. And so 
Obviously, I think Joel Embiid's going to get better as the series move on, moves on and he gets a little bit healthier and probably gets his wind back. But, like, it's just a it's a question about how efficient the Sixers' offense can be um, and if it looks possibly better. I don't know. It just didn't feel like they had as much flow, as much aggression. And, and maybe that's got a lot to do with just how aggressive and how much intensity the Celtics brought on the defensive end. But... I just thought the Celtics or Sixers offense at the start of their third quarter was like, we got to get Joel going, and it didn't work, and then there was just no looking back from there. Yeah, and I thought, like, Embiid moved like himself in bursts, it felt like. He had the one move toward the end of the first half where he just drove right by Al Horford for a dunk. He had, a, some of his blocks were just like, he was kind of standing there and just blocked a dude who should not have tried him. But a couple of his other blocks were like, really just hustle plays where he he showed the the athleticism that you're used to. I did think after one of the blocks of Malcolm Brogdon, I think it was his fifth and final block, they were all in the first half, you could see he kind of came down weird and was just standing by the basket stanchion for a while as his team went the other way in transition. And then there was a timeout right after, and he was so slow going into the huddle. And I, I do wonder if, like, he wasn't right from that moment forward. Um, but the, th- the thing that stood out most about his night was, like, the lack of usage. Yeah, nine shots total, which is kind of surprising. And he, he drew a bunch of free throws, too. So it's more like probably 13 possessions that he used. Um, but still, like, that's, that's a remarkably low number for Joel Embiid. He didn't have an assist. So well, because the Celtics didn't really even double him, like they. And compared to the last time they played the Seventy Sixes, where he just got easy foul line jump shot after easy foul line jump shot and was amazing, and made what was he like twenty one for twenty five in that game. Well, I thought that specifically Grant Williams is the image that like sticks out to me. Is just like we're gonna front him, we're just not gonna let him get an easy catch, and then I thought the Sixers just kind of. It wasn't clear what their their. They were not dictating anything on offense, and I thought the Celtics did a good job of pushing the pace, making them run. We gave the Celtics shit for giving up some uh, easy transition layups, but I thought in that third quarter, um, I think it was Brogdon or White just like drove right th- right by Embiid and P.J. Tucker um, to get some easy uh, fast break points. And so I just thought the Celtics just kept on testing Embiid. I guess they only had 15 fast break points tonight, but I just thought the pace was better, and that's something clearly Missoula talks about a lot of just, like, they need to play with pace and get into their spacing um, faster, and it felt like the Celtics did a better job of that tonight. You want to know what's hilarious? The Sixers shot, like, close to 50% on mid-range shots in Game 1. Nearly did the same thing in Game 2. What about threes, though? Threes they were like six, the main... 16 for 34 from mid-range in tonight's game. So another, like, really good mid-range performance. Obviously, three-pointers, not so much. No D'Anthony Melton performance? And they only took 15 shots at the rim. So Celtics did a really good job of shutting, shutting off the shots at the rim and forcing jumpers. And when Embiid's there, like, he had the one dunk. Very little else that he did was, was easy. But you have to imagine he's going to be better in Philadelphia in front of his home crowd, more rest. Like, he's a dominant player. He won the MVP award. 
it's just about whether or not the Celtics can like come with that same intensity um, and defend him just as well and defend all the other like so, like two for fourteen from Harden tonight. Not great. Tobias Harris, I guess, was their best player on offense. I don't remember a single thing that he really did other than that shot you mentioned at the start of the game. Maxi was pretty much non-existent. Um, he was six to fourteen. Um, playoffs, wild swings. Can't get too high, can't get too low. I think it's a good win for the Celtics. I think the real question is, like, can they sustain this and will they not play like assholes in game three like they did in game one? Like, in retrospect, you should still be pretty upset if you're a Celtics fan about losing game one because they could be heading to Philadelphia up 2-0 right now. Um, yeah, and, and it was it was a weird start to the playoffs, a very different start to the playoffs from last season. In the sense that last season, like, they drew KD and Kyrie. There was juice and game one. Not only was there juice, but also, like, they had a really heightened, like, intensity because it was like, if we fuck around, these guys are going to kick our ass. And I felt like they believed that the Nets, if they weren't really sharp against them, would take advantage of it. I don't think they felt that about the Hawks. I know they left the series with more respect for the Hawks and had to dig deep late in game six and really execute down the stretch of that game. But it never felt like they were afraid at any moment. Like they weren't thinking, oh, the Hawks are going to beat us. Like, I don't think they ever had that super heightened intensity. Probably the same way in game one. They, you come out against the 76ers and it's like, they don't have Joel Embiid. Who knows when he's going to come back. This was the first time when they kind of had to, I guess, come face to face with their mortality. That that sounds a little <laughs> dramatic. <laughs> it's the playoffs, man. Definitely a lot dramatic. But this was the first time it, it felt like to me where they had to question themselves during the playoffs. And they had to reach another level that they haven't shown yet. And and from that standpoint, it was a great response. But like you said, now can you do it again? Can you continue to play this defense in a tie series? Um, can you continue to do it later in the series? Can you continue to do it every game? They haven't shown as a team the ability to like defend at a super high level every night. I know their defensive rating during the regular season was really good. Um, but they haven't always flown around like they did tonight. I, I, I did feel like they flew around tonight, though. And the, the rotations they had were just night and day. The amount of help they had was night and day from, from game one. Like, there was, there was little easy that the 76ers got. We, we mentioned the, the few times when, when they did get easy buckets. But other than that, it was like they really had to work for stuff. Even their three-pointers, there were a lot of hustles to contest the the threes from the Celtics. They made the Sixers earn it. Like, I remember there was one possession where, I guess, Tobias, I slandered him earlier, but he made a three in the corner, and it came from, like, the, Cel- the Sixers, like, having to pass around, like, make very good passes for the entire possession, and this, I thought the Celtics' rotations were pretty good. It was just better offense from the Sixers who, really, like, really worked the ball around. I thought there was a couple of possessions in the third quarter where the Celtics played um, like 22 seconds of amazing defense, and Tyrese Maxey just kind of beat them at the end. But, like, just that sustained effort for the entire possession was there pretty much for the first 36 minutes of the game. And then, you know, we got we had, we had Peyton Pritchard start in the fourth quarter. It was, it was pretty much nonsense for the rest of that. He scored more points than Jason Tatum. <laughs> he did. 
which I would not have expected coming into tonight. Luke Cornett scored one fewer point than Jason Tatum. And, uh, More field goals uh, for Luke Cornett. Jason Tatum just is a free throw merchant at this point. Yeah, it, it wasn't wasn't really. A, I mean, the, the Celtics hit a ton of threes during the third quarter. It was just Grant and Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, <laughs> other than that, ten like, threes just between the two of them. They didn't have the sharpest, and I, I I I did feel like the first half they had a bunch of threes that didn't go in that were good looks. Some by Al Horford. Grant Williams had one that was pretty wide open, missed that. Like, there was, they just missed a lot of shots early that could have probably established a, a better lead. But they stayed ahead almost the entirety of the game just with their defense early on. And then finally in the third quarter, their offense got going. I thought Brogdon, he had like a, such a weird game because I felt like in the first quarter, he was just super over aggressive hunting his own shot and challenging like trying Embiid. to attack and beat yeah. and he had the the play against Paul Reed where he did the up fake and I think Paul Reed blocked him it was like bro you're forcing it and then all of a sudden it was like oh wow Malcolm Brogdon had a great game <laughs> oh wow he, <laughs> he went from like forcing stuff and it wasn't working to oh Malcolm Brogdon has hit six threes and just broke the game wide open so I also felt like his defensive effort was really there. Um, I felt like it was he struggled, was one of the main guys who struggled in game one, and I thought he was just – everyone was a lot better just on staying with James Harden. It felt like just fighting through picks. It was just so much more noticeable about it. like no one died on screens as they did in that first game. And there's like – and Jalen talked about it after game. is like it – just felt like a pride thing, an effort thing, um, whereas it's like we are not going to get punked like we did in game one. And it also helped that James Harden didn't hit any of his step-back threes. Like he was, I think, 0 of 6 from, from deep tonight. And like so they didn't – he never really found a rhythm, but I do think it's just like the Celtics were in his hip for the majority of the game. Yeah, those shots are a lot different when someone's picking you up full and you have to work the whole possession – and then you're you've got a little tired legs and you're shooting the step back three versus like just r- running pick and roll pointing at a guy basically and being like I'm gonna toast this guy yeah and then the guy just lets you toast him for most of the night. Uh, Let's give me credit for predicting exactly what happened with Marcus Smart. He had to bruise sternum before the game. He talked about how much pain he was in. And then he played in the game. Got more pain, combination right stinger in the shoulder, lip laceration on top of a bruised sternum. He had a great line in the post game interview. I thought this was a. Uh, I if you can if you have you watched the clip of this line, you can hear your dumb laugh. You really you really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was just a a great on the fly moment of advertisement for his his cereal because Steve, for those who haven't watched the clip or seen it. Uh, Steve Bullpet, Smart was eating cereal in his post-game scrum. His cereal, Wicked Smarts. And he said he hadn't eaten all day. I asked him why he hadn't eaten all day. <laughs> and he said, because that's just me sometimes. He doesn't like to eat much before games, I guess. I think he might have just wanted to eat Wicked Smarts in front of the camera. Um, but anyway... Steve Bullpet said, are you sure that's a smart idea? Like, to eat cereal, bro, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you eating protein or some shit like a real 
professional athlete. And Marcus said, this is the smartest thing I could eat. <laughs> and I just thought it was a pun. It was quick. And it promoted his cereal. So it got a, it got a nice little laugh from me. I just he, re- I thought he earned it. I, I retweeted thought he it. it. Uh, I retweeted the clip. You can hear Jay's uh, goofy laugh uh, on it. But, um, yeah, no, it's a good... Wicked Smarts, I can endorse it. It's a good Lucky Charms style cereal. Um, Have you eaten it? I've had multiple boxes. Anytime it's available at my local Star Market or Stop and Shop, I'll pick up a box of uh, Wicked Smarts. There you go. I love and I trust. Um, Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. All right. I mean, I think like we've got to the, the we got to get to the junk part of this game. The first thing, how what were your thoughts on the drone? Did you notice the drone? I didn't notice the drone, but I did notice everyone complaining about the drone. And then I later noticed the drone because of all the complaints about the drone. Okay, the people complaining about the drone, just watching on television, have no right to be annoyed. Me on level nine, where the drone is flying directly in the path of my view of the game, it was the most obnoxious thing in the world. And uh, the drone is stupid. There's no need for the drone. Why are you rolling out a drone in game one of the like in or game two of the Eastern Conference semifinals? It's a superfluous camera angle. It didn't add anything. Do you know what works and has worked for years? The cameras that are <laughs> set in the fucking arena. Yeah, no, they've been they've been broadcasting basketball games for years, and it's because it's boring. And so you're a TV producer, you're sitting in the truck, and you're like, "What if we get a cool low sideline angle, or what if we put a robot on the sideline that can kind of like track the players?" And they're just bored because they're sick of just being like, "Camera one, shot up, camera two. I've sat in the truck for many a, a basketball game. It's it's pretty much the same thing every single time. So I understand the boredom, but there's no need for a drone. Uh, B-Ball Paul had a sweet behind-the-back pass. Gotta that was res- very nice. Gotta respect B-Ball Paul for making that. That was very nice. Um, I forgot to mention this in our Game 1 recap, probably because I was angry, but did you notice the Patriots that were at Game 1 
it was Zappy and like all the wide receiver core. Where's Mac Jones? Quarterback Mac, country. Mac receiver? Jones is throwing at home. Mac Jones. To who? Mac Jones. To who? The wide receivers are with Zappy. Probably the tight ends. Fair point. That's another receiving position. Mac Jones Him is and locked in. He's not going to waste three hours and communication or and commute time to go to a. It's about a developing chemistry game. with your wide receivers. He does that at practice. He does it in the facility. It's he about, does that while working. Give wow. Mac Jones some respect. Bailey Zappi is nothing more than Ollie from Hoosiers. They look exactly alike. I've never seen Hoosiers, but uh, okay. You've never seen Hoosiers? No. Um, we got some aggressive dabbing. You know that kid who always wears the John Havlicek jersey, who uh, wears glasses, and we uh, watched nope. him grown up on the Jumbotron over the years? No. Nope. Well, he was doing some aggressive dabbing. That was, that was cool. I like the dabs back. Um, got to give credit where credit's due. Red Panda came in clutch tonight. She got the MVP chance, and she hit the five bowls. I'm not going to be a hater just to hate. I'm telling you, she has the clutch gene. I'm, I'm she giving her the credit. She comes to perform. I used to respect her. I used to doubt her. I'll never do it again. Uh, there's a guy in a full yellow suit and matching hat with a, well, a Marcus Smart jersey underneath, and he looked like the man in the yellow hat from Curious George, which I just thought was an interesting look. I don't remember what that guy looked like. Uh, he wears a full yellow suit, and he hangs out with a monkey named Curious George. I know who Curious George is. <laughs> Do you know the man in the yellow hat? I assume he wears a full yellow suit based on what you just told me. Um, here's my biggest issue with the game and my biggest issue with Joe Missoula. He had a moment. He had an opportunity in the fourth quarter to make magic. And if he had any sense of the moment... Blake is not Taco Fall. He could be. He could be, he could be the new Geno. There was We Want Blake chance. The crowd would have been electric. I genuinely believe... That if Joe Missoula put Blake in at some point during that fourth quarter, the Celtics' title chances would have increased. No. You need a dumb gimmick sometimes. The Angels the had a rally monkey. Like, you need something for the team, everyone to unite behind. The- Gino doesn't exist anymore. Gino is not a thing. Abby Chin, after the game, asked Joe Missoula if he knew what Gino was, and he had said, no idea. And so, make Blake be Gino. He's the, everyone wants, like, he's the victory cigar. You play well enough, so Blake goes in the game, and everyone's happy. Brad Stevens had the wherewithal to be like, I'm going to give the people what they want. He gave them taco fall, and everyone was juiced. Should have put Blake in. No sense of the moment. Moment, moment was too big for Joe Mazzula being up 30. The, uh, the people will take the Justin Champagne that they're given, and they, why is he, why was they he should respect it. Instead of J.D. Davison. Because J.D. Davison's on a two-way contract, bro. Seems and therefore, you can't be active for playoff games. It's, I just feel it feels you, you Davis has been think, here. You think you're a legal m- mastermind? <laughs> Don't even know the fucking CBA rules. It just feels unfair. Jay Davidson's been here the whole year, and now Justin Champagne is going to come in and get the garbage time minutes. Uh, it's just not. It's not great. Um, I don't know, Joe, did anything... I, I, I like Joe Mazzula at the end of his press conference being snarky as hell and be like, no one's going to ask me about the, ga- uh, the adjustments we made from game one to game two. I just thought it was a funny moment. Yeah, uh, he, uh, he, he, he... He really is still in like competitive mode after games. Even when he's up, that's why he's never going to put in Blake for the, 
What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> you literally just walked away mid-sentence. Yeah, I realized that might have been a mistake, but I thought it was much weirder if we were just sitting here in the dark. Um, Tobias Harris podium game. I just thought that was mean for to them to run him out there. And then Joel Embiid was just kind of like a sad, sad man. And it's very weird because he is like one of the best online shit talkers when he's doing well. But it was just like a sad kind of just dour press conference from him. I don't know. He didn't really say anything interesting. I literally zoned out. I don't remember a single thing Tobias Harris said. I could not think of someone I wanted to hear from less after that game than Tobias Harris. You want to hear from George Niang? Yeah, I would ask him why he took that shot. Why it went got blocked by Marcus Smart. And then we'd talk about our favorite things to do in Methuen. <laughs> I actually interviewed right. I interviewed George Niang pre-gay, uh, pre gay uh, pre before his draft because Nick Freedom worked him out. Then I was like trying to be a reporter at WEI. And then we, I, he gave me like a 10 minute interview where this is like not at all interesting whatsoever, but shout outs to George's for doing that. Oh, shout out to Nick Friedman today. He posted on his Instagram story, a clip of Malik Monk. Uh, apparently Malik Monk's a huge fan of the band Smashing Pumpkins. Um, and then Malik Monk reposted it. And just talked about how much he liked Smashing Pumpkins. And that's kind of not what you'd expect. And so I thought that was a fun moment from the internet earlier today. You have no idea who the Smashing Pumpkins are, do you? I've heard the name. but It's, no. it's some white people nonsense. What, uh, what are their songs? Uh, you don't know either. Uh, no, the 1979? No, maybe there's something like that? Yeah. 1979 is their main song. Tonight, Tonight... And that's all I really know. Sounds like a sick band. They were like very big in like 1996. What were you doing then? I was living my middle school life. Not Fucking listening to Smashing Pumpkins. Striking motherfuckers out on the Little League field and getting buckets. CYO basketball. Do you have that's any, what the fuck I was Do you have doing. any observations while I get this song loaded? Just so you can see if you... Um, put it up. Put it higher. What kind of computer do you have? It's very poor volume. You've heard the song. I have no idea. We're watching some weird music video where they're rolling tires and now flipping tires. Billy Corrigan. I have no clue who this is. But imagine Malik Monk listening to this song. That's what makes it funny. I really don't think that's too funny. Um, it's, it's quite unexpected. Why? Seems like racial stereotyping to me. It's a bit of racial stereotyping, yes. I don't think you should do that. I I don't know. You don't know who Smashing Pumpkins is. Maybe it's just a basketball thing. I just think people who grew up playing a lot of basketball don't know Smashing Pumpkins and the song 1979. That's just that's just my assumption. I don't know. I've, I've run out of junk, clearly, if we're talking about this. Do you have any observations from the game? Anything else you'd like to say on the podcast? Uh, one thing that was pretty important, Sixers didn't get their first offensive rebound until the second quarter. About 10 minutes left. Just thought the Celtics did a really, really good job on the glass. MB did not have an offensive rebound. Um, what else? Yeah, I, I thought like Embiid... To me, if I'm a 76ers fan, I'm pretty encouraged by the way he played. Because he was able to have, obviously, a big impact at the rim. He was able to have 
some moves that showed he can still do it. Um, obviously, like stamina, endurance, everything else, I think he still needs to get that back. But Although when he fell from that first like Grant Williams bump, it looked like his knee buckled under him. And that was like the softest fall, like floor beads shit I've seen. He only was on the floor three times tonight. I tracked them all. Um, so kudos to him for not. But that one fall was uh, did not look good. I also thought James Harden's milking the foul on Jason Tatum to try to get a review was just incredible stuff. Oh, you didn't think he was actually in tremendous pain? He definitely got hit in the face. Uh, but he stayed down for a long time after that. That was that was some high level stuff. Honestly, you gotta you gotta give him his respect. He earned that respect with that one. Um, and shouts to Robert Williams. I just thought when he was in there, was was active. Uh, three offensive rebounds, three blocks. Just did Robert Williams things. Obviously, it wasn't as like I thought. He should have played more in game one against the zone. 76ers did not go zone. You're not going to really – like. I guess they did for a couple possessions tonight. Um, oh, Marcus Smart's badass uh, reverse dunk uh, when, like, the Celtics first saw the zone. Yeah. That was like, oh, they, they worked on this. You, you know that they put that one in in practice because as soon as the 76ers went zone, the ball swung to Jason Tatum up top. And Marcus Smart is not a man who throws down a lot of alley-oops, uh, but – that was that was nice. Um, did you listen? Did you hear the weird thrash metal song they played to start the game instead of Crazy Train? No. Do you listen to any of the music or pay attention to any of the things going on around the game when you're when you're like locked in in playoff mode? I, I wasn't really locked in. I was. How'd uh, you feel about the drum line? I didn't see the drum line. I did walk by them in the hallway, and it was very tough because they were all carrying, <laughs> carrying their drums. big old fucking instruments. And it was like one of the smaller corridors in TD Garden. And uh, so, yeah, I, I did see them. I did not see them perform, though. They, uh, they performed, but like... Yeah, I, I was like... I was like shrink, shrinking in the hall, like trying to like sucking in my stomach so I didn't get flattened by a drum on the way, going the other way. Oh, uh, the Good one, times. the one last thing I have in my notes. I like that the junk in this has been interspersed with me and you have given actual basketball observations, but there was like interesting substitution patterns at the end of what was the second quarter, where it's like they brought Jalen McDaniel's in, and then immediately they uh, subbed in Rob Williams because like you can help off Jalen McDaniels and you just don't have to guard him at all. And then 30 seconds later, they replaced McDaniels with Niang and they immediately subbed Rob Williams out. And it's just like, it's part of the thing I like about the playoffs is like how matchup dependent it is and like those adjustments like that. And I just thought it was cool. It's like, oh, and I think it's an issue for the Sixers. It's like, they don't really have that much depth and the Celtics have a way. It's like, if you bring in, any of their their bench players. I guess Melton didn't really have a good game tonight, but if you bring in a non-shooter, the Celtics are very willing to bring in Robert Williams and have him play that kind of weak side help defense. It just makes their defense that much better. And I think um, Missoula's been very... He's talked about it for before game one, after game one, and before this game about, like, there's the Embiid minutes and the non-Embiid minutes. And I think... I clearly, I think he's put an emphasis on winning the non-Embiid minutes. And so 
if they're going to have the non-MB minutes and not have shooters out there, the Celtics have like a clear counter where it's double bigs and Rob Williams and him playing kind of that free safety position. And so I thought it was just cool to see the kind of adjustments and substitution patterns they were trying to use to attack that. Why didn't anyone ask Joe Mazzulla about the adjustments? I don't know. I was trying to get uh, Steve to ask some questions. What do you think he was trying to accomplish with that? Do you think he was just taunting us just for the fuck of taunting us? Yeah, I think that's exactly what he was doing. What do, you, what do you mean? That's exactly what he was doing. <laughs> uh, I feel it. like he goes in the game and like assumes that he's going to get some like dumb questions that just like happen after like every kind of game where it's like when they they shoot when like when the Celtics shoot a bad percentage from threes, he's going to get real pissed off and be like, "Why didn't you ask me about a bad percentage from layups?" And so I think he came in and was like. Probably saw all the people talking shit about him in game one and about, like, how they need to adjust. And he basically said, like, we just ran out there and did the same game plan. The players just tried. And now you're not, you're not going to ask me about adjustments now? Because, like, I had the same fucking game plan both games. And so I think that's what he's trying to accomplish. Like, you guys all think you're smart at basketball, but really I just said do the same thing. Just have some fucking heart. And then uh, they played Well, better. they definitely didn't do the same thing because Joel Embiid played, which changes everything. So it was not the same game plan. But it wasn't like a dramatic adjustment in offensive or defensive play strategy. Play better. It was try. Play better. Be angry. How do you think they maintain the anger going? Do you think they just play game one on a loop uh, on the plane ride on Thursday? Like, how do, they, how do they maintain that anger and intensity heading into game three? Just remind Jalen Brown of his deepest failures somehow. <laughs> That's it. Like, just piss him off and, and piss off everybody else. And remind Jason Tatum, hey, you only played 19 minutes tonight. Peyton Pritchard outscored you. I just think you, would, you should bring that up a lot. Just, <laughs> just have Derek White just insult everyone. I just I don't like think it's in Derek you, White's if nature. If you get insulted by Derek White, you, it's got to piss you off because he doesn't, doesn't insult anyone. Um, and somewhat, I think Al Horford's going to show up in Philadelphia because they're going to talk shit to him. And when that happens, it doesn't normally work out for well yeah. for the other people. One of the adjustments that Joe did talk about was just like shooting threes. And that was a clear emphasis. Like they took the early ones. Al Horford took a lot of them. He took some in transition. It was like, if you're open, shoot the fucking thing and we'll figure out the rest later. And that typically works for the Celtics. They shot 51 threes, which is a lot even by their standards. Um, and it just felt like like everyone, when they were over, like Malcolm was just really letting it fly. I don't think he took 10 three-point attempts in a game all season. That would be my guess. Yeah. Um, and... And so that was an adjustment. I, I, I guess it's like a, a different mentality. I would call it. But I'm sure Joe Mazzulla told him to shoot threes in game one. And he brought up, like, Al Horford's eight threes. As a good thing. Al Al went one for eight, and he's like, we had him involved on the offense. Like, that's good. That helps us. And so I just think he doesn't see results. He's just like, what did did we do out there? Did we try to whip ass? (laughs) Did, did, Did these fuckers do what I told them to do? And, uh... I thought for the most part they 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 had a, a good performance and then um the lack of turnovers was just huge. 
just huge. There was there was no over penetration. Just one turnover from Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum had two, and they were both offensive fouls. So two of their six turnovers were offensive fouls by Jason Tatum. And when you and take the other care two of, turnovers were Peyton Pritchard in, in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So like when you take care of the ball like that, then and you play defense at the level they did. There aren't many teams that are going to beat the Celtics when they're like that. Um, that I hate analysis like that, but I just did it. There aren't many teams that are going to beat them when they play a when they really play, perfect game. When they play well, they're a pretty good <laughs> basketball team. I think that's a good sign to end the podcast. Uh, we'll be back maybe tomorrow. I don't know. You're traveling. We'll figure it out. Uh, but we'll definitely be back after game three. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of... Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.